Tuesday, November 1st, and this is Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill, and joining me in studio today from Motley Fool Stock Advisor Jason Moser, from Motley Fool Pro Jeff Fisher, and from Motley Fool UK, David Quo. Good to see you, David. Thank you very much, Chris. Uh, your, your first time on our daily Market Foolery podcast. Apparently so, yes. <laughs> Welcome. <laughs> I hope it's not my Apparently last time on Market Foolery. Sure we'll, we'll see how it goes. People can, uh, of course, always drop us an email, radio at fool.com. Uh, we have news from Bank of America and SiriusXM. But first, the Greek government is on the verge of collapse after Prime Minister George Papandreou called for a referendum on the EU bailout deal. Uh, David, I will start with you. We we talked about this on the Motley Fool Money radio show last week. We had a deal. We had a deal in place. What is he doing calling for a referendum? <laughs> because ultimately he wants to abdicate responsibility to the people. I mean, if you, ha- if you have a look at the deal that's on the table right now, right, uh, Greece is going to get 50% of its debts written off. Great. And that is an exchange for money from the European Union. Now, I think the Greek people are saying, well, if they're going to write off 50% of our debts and they're going to give us some money, why do we still need to go through this austerity measure? In other words, uh, why are we being beaten half to death by, by, by <laughs> Europe? And so what Papandreou, what Papandreou is saying to the Greek people is you decide. You decide what you want to do. And I think the referendum is going to come out in favor of um, let's just default on the debts, not 50%. Let's <laughs> default on all of the debt. And we'll get out of Europe. That way we don't have any austerity. Jason, what do you think? That's the scariest part about it is, I mean, he's, I think he's exactly right, actually. I mean, Papandreou is throwing this to the people and saying, look, I just can't really deal with this decision. So you guys figure it out. And we know that the, the Greek population overwhelmingly does not feel very good about this bailout. So, uh, you know, I mean, it, as far as a referendum vote, I mean, I think it would overwhelmingly be no. And the problem is, what's the plan B? Because if it's not a bailout, then, well, what do we do? Jeff? Yeah, six out of ten Greeks disagree with the austerity measure at the last poll. But all he's trying to do is save his own political career. If if the vote goes against him, he can bow out with honor. If it goes for him, then everyone celebrates. But meanwhile, all of Europe pays a price. Italy is now paying more than 6% to sell debt, and which is, for other countries, an unsustainable level. So chaos everywhere. And you think about the standard of the sets, too, because, I mean, Greece does this. Okay, well, that's not all we have to worry about, because then you have Italy, then you have Portugal, then you have Spain, and mm. you have all of these other dominoes that need to fall. So they're, they're setting the stage for really what's going to be, I think, a real volatile uh, period in the markets. But the thing is, I mean, this is actually affecting the rest of the world, because yeah. everybody has their eyes on Europe right now. And I think half of U.S. Uh, individual investors are concerned. They are actually stressed out by what is going on. But I think ultimately what you really need to do is to say, okay, there is a lot of volatility there. If you have some stocks that you want to buy, well, just take advantage of the volatility. Wait until, <laughs> well, seriously, yeah. I mean, just wait until the price hits your, your, your buy point and then you'll go in and you'll buy and then the volatility will disappear again. I want to get into companies in just a minute. But first, David, um, you're over in London. There's obviously tremendous amounts of media coverage. Is there something about this story over the last few weeks and months that you think that the mainstream financial media is missing? Is there a part of this that they're not quite getting right? What, you know, from your viewpoint? Right. Okay. I think that uh, the the big issue really is that um, this problem is not solvable. There is no solution to this problem. And what is No, no, don't don't say it. (laughs) Don't actually say it. 
No, well, well exactly. <laughs> Nobody Every, wants to admit it. But everybody thinks it. Everybody knows it. I mean, all 17 countries that are part of the euro currency and the 27 countries that are part of Europe knows that this problem is not solvable. And yet they are still carrying on and sort of saying, yes, let's try and find a solution for this. So I think ultimately this is really what is being missed by everybody. Everybody is saying we can find a solution. Angela Merkel from Germany says there is a solution. And we have Nicolas Sarkozy saying, yes, there is a solution. And we have Berlusconi saying, yes, there is a solution. But we all know in our hearts there is no solution. You are trying to put together 27 countries who don't really want to be together. This is America, David. We're all about optimism over here. Come on. Yeah, but at least you speak the same language and you like each other. But you I don't think... need a passport to go from South Carolina to California. <laughs> That's true. That is true. Um, Jason, let's talk companies here. Um, in your viewpoint, what are some companies that you think are in real danger as a result of this development? And uh, at the other end of the spectrum, what are some companies that are just impervious to anything that's going on? I mean, I think the companies that are in real danger, I mean, it seems like virtually anything financial, uh, big banks in general, because we know that, that banking is less transparent than we really wanted it to be. Um, so I, I would really avoid all big financials, because at this point, we don't know what, what people are carrying on their on their balance sheets. I mean, MF Global was a great example here. Um, as far as companies that uh, should be able to get through this without any problem, I mean, I'd be looking for companies with really uh, you know, healthy balance sheets, a lot of cash, uh, plenty of global exposure, uh, and, and products that we really you know, can't get along without. I mean, I'm thinking about companies like Apple. I mean, it's the most powerful brand in the world. I don't, I don't think anything that really happens in Greece is going to affect Apple by any means. Uh, you know, Google is another one. Amazon, uh, interestingly enough, just getting ready to step into China with their uh, Kindle and Kindle Fire products. Mm -hmm. So, you know, those, those are the companies I'd be looking, looking to. Jeff, what about you? There are a lot of companies in America that only operate in America, too, of course, that are strong, including Lowe's. And uh, Exelon, a uh, giant, the country's largest utility firm, paying a 5% dividend. It's pretty safely cut off from Europe. So look, look at companies that don't have any exposure to Europe. Those stocks are getting hit nearly as hard as all the other ones as, as all shares are trading together. Uh, David, to the point that you made earlier, are, are there stocks on your radar that are sort of creeping down to that buy point? Or are you going to be able to take advantage of the volatility? Yes, there are. I mean, one in particular is Vodafone. I mean, that was a company I, I've had my eye on. I already own the stock. And um, I had a certain buy price that I wanted. And I put that buy price in. And one day, as a result of that volatility, it hit it. It hit 136, I think, yeah, on one day. This is really a, a, a a share that is worth well over pound fifty a share. So when it hit 130-something, I went in and bought. And I think in terms of um, uh, the companies that are vulnerable, I don't think we should forget the insurance companies either. I mean, the, the, the banks get a, a lot of uh, press with regards to the bonds that they are holding in Europe. But I don't think we should forget about the insurance companies because they were sold a pop, really. I mean, they, they, they were told that you have to go and buy these in order to match your, uh, uh, your long-term investments with bonds that are con considered to be safe. But we found out that uh, these bonds are not safe at all. Bank of America has canceled its plan to charge customers $5 a month for using their debit cards. Uh, Jason? Good news for Bank of America customers, um, but what does this mean for Bank of America's bottom line and ultimately for shareholders? So, do you remember back in like January? I think we actually did a market foolery on this when they were trying to figure out how to kind of 
get all these fees. And we were predicting, I think it was me and you and James and maybe Ron, we were predicting that these fees were going to be coming where they were going to figure out other ways to get around that interchange limit. They're very innovative when yeah, it comes to fees. And, and so it was very predictable they were going to do this. And I think it was even more predictable that they were going to have to sort of retract what they were doing because consumers were just going to freak out about it. And I mean, rightfully so. And so, I mean, what they were doing was was just figuring out a way to get creative and, and recoup some of those fees they were losing through the uh, through the Dodd-Frank legislation mm-hmm. and the Durban Amendment. And the interesting thing here is everything I've been reading about this is that you know the Durban the Durban Amendment the Dodd uh, the Frank Dodd legislation has been tweaked and negotiated so much now that that many politicians are even saying what's the point of even trying to go through with it now because it's not the same bill that was introduced. Banks are trying to get their fees uh, make up for lost fees here and there. And so I mean while the consumer definitely wins here. Uh, they should not be fooled into believing that they're getting a free lunch. I mean, the banks are still going to figure out a way to get these fees back, whether it's through some interchange adjustment, minimum balance fees, something. But these banks are just pros at figuring out ways to recoup these fees. And Jeff, this is in the wake of uh, last week when we had uh, J.P. Morgan and uh, Wells Fargo also coming out and basically shuttling, you know, shuttering their own plans to to raise fees as well. Um, you agree with Jason? Right, it's 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 just coming back in one way or another. Several banks had tested monthly fees on debit cards and and have ended those programs. I think it's too high profile of a fee. People love their debit cards mm-hmm. being charged for it. It just doesn't sit well with them. They'll find, as Jason said, other ways to charge fees, whether it's through your checking account, your savings account, something. But it's funny from a personal finance standpoint how we focus on these small $5 a month fees, $60 a year. Mm-hmm. Sure, let's let's get up in arms about it and be upset, but it's not going to change your financial life. As fools out there listening, focus on bigger ticket items to, to make your financial future brighter. David, um, let's broaden it from Bank of America because uh, Bank of America has uh, done something that other non-financials have done recently. I'm thinking of a company like Netflix with the whole thing with you know launching Quickster and then backing away from that. Hewlett Packard uh, and they're going back and forth on uh, PCs. Do companies, in your estimation, get credit for changing their minds, or do you look at it more as a situation of it's a question of management that, that that it makes you as an investor go it seems like they're not really sure what they're doing which way do you come down on that i think quite often they are very ill-advised about uh, how to increase prices everybody wants to increase price because it is instant gratification you increase price and provided your sale doesn't fa- sales don't fall then you are going to get more revenue. Mm-hmm. And if your cost base remains the same, then you're going to make more profit. It is instant gratification. But sometimes that has to be managed, that has to be explained to customers why you are doing it. In the case of um, Bank of America putting on this uh, $5 levy on uh, uh, current accounts, I think, you know, people have all along believed that banking should be free. And what the banks are saying is it isn't free. There is a cost associated with this. You have to pay for this. Now, is this better or is it better to use the 363 rule of banking? Are you familiar with this 363 rule? No. Right. So what they do is they pay you 3% on your savings account, charge you 6% on your loans, and they're on the golf course by 3 o'clock in the afternoon. <laughs> right? That is the 363 rule of banking. I love the golf course part. <laughs> now, what they can do is to, instead of charging you 6% on your loans, charge you six and a quarter percent That way they can still actually make the money. Is that fairer or is it fairer to say we're going to charge you $5 a month in order to give you 
two-way checking account. I don't know, but I think this has to be explained to customers. I have to give David an opportunity here because uh, David was a guest on our weekly radio show, and one of the things we talked about was uh, BP. And uh, I made the point that it, it, it seems like uh, when uh, BP does something wrong, then the name of the company is BP. But when <laughs> things are going well, it appears that people in the UK refer to it as British Petroleum. <laughs> so um, along those lines, do you feel like when it comes to Bank of America, do you think a, a name change is in order for them? The, you know, they've taken so many hits to their image lately. Do you think maybe that the good people at Bank of America should, should change their name officially to something like BAC? Well, it, it is very convenient, isn't it? I mean, you, you could call it BOA if you wanted to. Yes. I mean, uh, if things aren't going particularly well, just disassociate it with America. But uh, you, you have a very va- valid point there. And I think quite often it is a perception thing because banks are ultimately uh, in control of our money. You know they've got their, their hands on your wallet. They know how much money you have going through your bank accounts. They know more about you than I think our partners do. Do you think enough scary? time has gone <laughs> – has enough time passed where if they went back to Nations Bank, people would put two and two together? No, no. I think that yeah. would work. Might be safe. Um, from a PR standpoint, those companies I named, uh, Netflix, uh, Hewlett-Packard – Bank of America. If you're if you're a PR agency, which which business do you want there? Because all three of them have got their own problems. Um, you can think in terms of who's going to pay you the most, or which ones you think are the easiest to turn around from an image standpoint. Jeff, what do you think? No question for me. I'd go with Netflix. They still have a, a service people love. They still have a good brand. Quickster will be a, a memory very soon. <laughs> yes, uh, kind of a fun one when you think about it. It's brings up a chuckle. Uh, I think Netflix has a lot going for them. They're well ahead of the competition, even as the competition is uh, gaining ground. But I think they have a good chance of to, to pull out and, and win this thing. Jason, what about you? Yeah, I'd have to agree there. I mean, Bank of America seems to perpetually step in it in the headlines. I mean, you just don't ever see a good headline with a company anymore. To have to get up in there and stand up for them, I think, would be, would be tough to do. Netflix, it seems like you'd have an opportunity to maybe get some good Good FaceTime there. I mean, Reed Hastings seems like a pretty nice guy. Like I think, Jeff I think I'd keep him off video. Yeah, maybe so. <laughs> People love the product, and I'm counting on the uh, the forgetfulness of the American consumer. I think in a year this will all be old news. David? Uh, I would go for uh, Bank of America because I think we can do without Netflix. We can do without HP, but we can't do without banks. And finally, shares of Sirius XM down slightly so far today after the latest quarterly earnings. Uh, Jeff, revenue up 6%, but subscriber growth came in lower than expected. What did you make of the quarter for Sirius XM? Bottom line, and we, we may get flame emails for this, is, this is this is not a company I want to own. From the time they came public, we were short it in the original full portfolio. I remember that. And I wouldn't own it or short it at this point. Financials are improving but they have too many competitors. They have too high of a cost structure even now. And uh, the competition is only going to grow. Pandora, which I know SiriusXM fans hate to compare right. Sirius to, but Pandora is getting into the automobile market starting in 2012 models. They'll show up. So streaming, streaming internet radio is mm-hmm. coming to cars. Uh, there's just competition everywhere, and Sirius has has an expensive business. Um, to the point about cars, Jason, um, Sirius XM really has made uh, uh, serious headway with automakers like Ford, like GM. Um, to to what extent uh, should shareholders or inve- or potential shareholders with Sirius XM be looking at the automakers and um, essentially banking on that relationship? 
Well, I don't know that I'd be banking on it as, as a value creator. I mean, they definitely need to count on it as part of, of how the company makes money. Um, you know, they have what a, a car conversion rate, which they announce every quarter, and it's typically just under 50%, meaning, you know, for every 10 cars that go out with the, with the radio, around four or so end up keeping it after that three-month free subscription, uh, okay. which isn't bad. Um, the problem, though, is that I, I think that with with Sirius, you're looking, number one, at a, there are a lot of substitutes out there now, and that's one of those things we always talk about as far as a competitive advantage goes. The power of substitutes comes into play, and with, you know, the various options in internet radio, I mean, you look even Pandora that's out there now, and I think yep. that we were we were talking about this beforehand. In that, with the the Sirius that's installed in the cars, it's not really anything other than just a button anymore. So it's they just don't want to subscribe to it. They just don't subscribe to it. Um, as far as Sirius goes, I mean, you know, I looked back at some of the numbers here, and I was blown away at actually how good this company has pulled it together since 2005. They've gotten revenue from 240 million to three billion. They've actually brought their net margin into double digits, and their coverage ratio, which is basically a measure of their profitability versus the interest they owe on their debt, we like to see that number positive and high, went from a negative 44 in 2005 to actually around 3 now. So it's like saying they were at a total F. So maybe I'd give them like a C minus now. But, you know, you look at the stock. The stock is down 80% over that time. Mm-hmm. The number of shares outstanding, I was floored to see this, has tripled since that time as well, which means that... They just keep on destroying value that way. So I liken Sirius really to Vonage. I like the service, but I wouldn't touch the stock. Uh, David, to the point you made earlier about everyone would love to raise prices, um, Sirius XM is going to raise prices. Uh, Mel Karmazin, the CEO, um, uh, has referenced that. The price hike is coming in a couple of months. How does, how does Sirius XM pull that off without having backlash similar to what we saw with Netflix. Well, I think you know, part of the reason why it has to raise prices is because it needs to increase revenues. I mean, this is a company that's worth around sort of $6 billion, and it's got $3 billion of sales. So therefore, its price to sales is two, which is quite expensive. So somehow, it's got to justify its market valuation by doing something. As far as increasing prices are concerned, it is going to cause some kind of attrition. In other words, people are going to back away. And I think what it really needs to do is not to increase prices, but to cut prices, if anything, in order to try and grow its business and try and get greater adoption. Now, I have to say that I'm not particularly good at these kind of concept stocks because I was the one that said Google would never fly. Mm. And, uh, <laughs> and so, Google what? I haven't heard of Google. <laughs> and so, therefore, I'm not particularly good at uh, imagining how a company is going to look in uh, 10, 20 years' time. I like stocks that uh, pay me a dividend, and I love that sound of dividends landing on my doormat. Mm. <laughs> um, uh, our colleague Ron Gross uh, is a SiriusXM subscriber. Uh, he's a big Howard Stern fan. When you look at the offerings from SiriusXM, um, in some ways, I suppose it's good that there's not one single thing that they're betting on. But it kind of seems, Jason, like they've got several large buckets. So, for example, you know, if Howard Stern were to go away, someone like Ron is is going away as a subscriber. Um, you know, sports programming. Um, obviously, they've got tons of music channels, but I, I, I'm just wondering, when you look at sort of the value proposition they're offering, do you see any sort of uh, special sauce that gives SiriusXM an edge over something like Pandora or even a company like Apple? 
I mean, I think right now the diversity of their content is that special sauce. Howard Stern, to me, is essentially synonymous with Sirius. I mean, mm-hmm. Whenever you say Sirius, that's the first thing that comes to mind. I have a lot of friends that subscribe for that very same reason. Yep. Um, if he left, it would certainly be a big hit, I think. Um, the other problem, I think, is that you know, you're running into the way that we get our content. Now, it seems like people are looking to get it quick hits, and maybe they don't have three hours to sit there and listen to a, a baseball game or a car race or whatever. Um, so I wonder how long that's going to be able to sustain itself before people start looking elsewhere. You know, it's just, I mean, only time will really tell. But I, I think that, yeah, if you're looking at an identity with series, I mean, Howard Stern is certainly the one that comes to mind. So if money was no object... And SiriusXM, Mel Carmazin comes to you and says, I get, I get to hire a new host. Money is no object. One personality, one host. Who would you recommend, Jeff? I think if, if SiriusXM wants to really grow and become mainstream, something like HBO, HBO they, they need personalities and possibly Justin Bieber. I think it's uh, Bieber. 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 See, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I wear it as a badge of honor. I don't know how to say his name. I don't even know what he does. Right. Is he a singer? But I do know he is top of the tweets. But if you're going right. to pitch that idea, you might want to know how to pronounce his name. Well, Just... I, I write. I'm a writer. I'm not audio. <laughs> Jason? I guess I'm going to go for a little bit of a value investor uh, sort of, of bent here with uh, – you remember Frank Caliendo, the guy who does all the impressions, John Madden and everything? Yeah, he's on Fox uh, yeah, uh, so NFL I mean, Sunday. The guy is he, – he's just sheer entertainment. He's got a million voices. He nails them. The John Madden just it kills me. I love it. So, I mean, I'd probably go with Caliendo. David, what do you think? I would go for somebody that you could never fire and somebody who would never leave. In other words, an animated character, I would go for Bugs Bunny. (laughs) Really? A Bugs Bunny talk show? Absolutely. He has a lucrative contract, Bugs Bunny, I hear. But again, money is no object. Jeff Fisher, Jason Moser, David Quill. Guys, thanks for being here. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. Our producer is Matt Greer. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. What is it? Bieber? Biber. It's Bieber. 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 What a name. Biber. I'm not saying you have to listen to all his music, but I mean, come on. How do you not know how to pronounce his name? I thought he was an actor. I think you're lying, Jeff. I think you've got Bieber fever just like the rest of us. I'm trying to hide it.